0: It's time for Dodger Baseball. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! There it goes! See ya.
1: The sports department at WFUV and the history behind it are a story largely untold. That is, until now. The voices that have shaped the student-run station for the last seven decades dive into their time at Rose Hill. This is the Off the Air podcast, the legacy of WFUV Sports.
2: Welcome to another edition of Off the Air as we continue to dive into the legacy of WFUV Sports. I'm Emmanuel Barbari, Nick DeLuca across from me, and Nick. This week we go behind the scenes with John Martin, the former executive producer at ESPN Radio, and a Fordham alum who built one of the nation's most preeminent radio networks.
1: For sure. A long career for John. It lasted almost 26 years at ESPN, over 4,200 events, and at the top of the line in, in that production in radio of pretty much everyone who has gone to Fordham. And it's going to be a really great opportunity for us to learn a lot about sort of the ins and outs of his career and all of the things that he did over a long period of time to see the evolution of radio from when it first started. And when you think about ESPN, it's a juggernaut that we think about right now, but it wasn't that way when John first started and to see him to build it from the ground up is gonna be something really
2: interesting to follow. And speaking of ins and outs, John, not someone who knew exactly what he was going to do when he walked into the Rose Hill campus at Fordham, but stepped into the halls of WFUV And Nick, you really discovered a passion.
1: Yeah, it's something that we've seen from a number of our guests. Yes, you get those lifers who know that they want to do it from age five or something like that. But then there's also those handful that come in and didn't really know what they wanted to do. And you sort of happen upon the radio station, a chance encounter or listening to WFUV, and you sit there and say, well, I I think I can do that. So it's going to be really interesting to get his take on that. And it's just something that we've seen from so many people And somebody who built such an illustrious career to think that he didn't have his heart set on that from an early age is pretty interesting.
2: A cool story to dive into. So before we chat with John, let's learn a little bit more about our 14th guest on Off the Air. Nick, take it away. This week
1: on Off the Air, John Martin. A 1974 Fordham graduate, John was a member of the school's basketball program and contributed to WFUV News and sports coverage during his time at Rose Hill. Following his graduation, John got his start at Sports Phone before becoming a producer and on-air talent at RKO Radio, United Stations, and Unistar Radio. In 1991, John accepted the role of senior director and executive producer at ESPN, a position he held for almost 26 years before retiring in 2017. Martin is also a 22 year member of the Metropolitan Golf Writers Association. Here's the Off the Air Podcast
0: with John Martin. John, thanks for being with us. Manuel, thank you. I've been looking forward to it.
2: John, you look back at your career and you look at this year. How does this compare with anything you think sports and the world as a whole has gone through?
0: Doesn't, no comparison. Uh, and, you know, in, in many ways, I, I'm thankful that I'm I'm a retired from full time because uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, somebody that was in my position would have to deal with these days has uh, it, just been incredible uh, from, uh, you know, are they going to start up? Are they not going to start up? Starting up and then um, the NBA players at one point considering just uh, canceling the whole season uh, in the wake of, you know, uh, what happened in Kenosha. Uh, so, uh, and, and that, and uh, also with uh, producing things from, uh, you know, remote in-house uh, and, and trying to set up that, set that up and coordinate with on site to try and get some ambient sound and real time pictures for, for the people who are calling the games, just a lot of stuff to undertake uh, enormous. And, uh, and, and again, just from the, the, the social and economic impacts as well. And, and the human toll too, uh, from, from people who've, you know, worked through this, people who working who've contracted uh, COVID. So, uh, crazy, totally crazy.
1: John, thanks again so much for doing this. I was curious to get your perspective on how you might've handled your job at ESPN with things moving to a virtual format and all the craziness going
0: on. Uh, Probably a lot of meetings, more than, than, I was never a big fan of meetings. I I, I thought after the first maybe 15 or 20 minutes that uh, the best ideas probably had been been laid out on the table and then it was just time to create action plans and go forward. But I I, I think uh, I would have um, really uh, been trying to surround myself with a lot of people, especially on the, on the technical side, both the video and audio and uh, from what I've just mentioned previously is how to best coordinate. So that would also have taken a lot of legwork with uh, the leagues. Uh, the NBA, I think as you can see from the, the, the telecast uh, has been phenomenal, no surprise. Uh, head and shoulders I think above everybody else. NHL has done a great job too, but you see how the NBA added in the virtual fans and the uh, ambient noise <clears throat> and you know, they've been able to separate people on the benches, et cetera, and they've had no issues. Uh, I mean, that bubble has been, you know, pretty uh, sac- sacrosanct. Um, the NHL in, in the same way has done the same thing. Baseball, much harder. I, I do know that they had been considering trying to create a bubble. I think Arizona had been their, their main focus because of the proximity of all the spring training sites there. Would, would have made that a better choice than Florida. But um, you know, I, I didn't deep dive too much with them into what were the drawbacks that they saw. So uh, that's been a lot harder for them to you know, pull off without the stops and starts that we saw with the Marlins and the Cardinals and, and you know, other teams, you know, even the Mets even, uh, where people you know, got sick. Uh, so now we'll have to see about the NFL and college football. Uh, and again, first, the Big Ten isn't playing. Now they're talking about playing. Um, just a lot of stuff. So that's why the hair is not the color that I was born with and uh, would probably have been snow white by this time if I was still working full-time. John, so
2: much to get into with your career, but you started at Fordham back in 1971. What drew you to sports broadcasting initially?
0: <laughs> well, I... Uh, I was fortunate to, to uh, this before freshman uh, eligibility, so I was on the freshman basketball team, and that was the year that Digger Phelps uh, has one year at Fordham. So uh, I would listen to the varsity games when they were, uh, you know, playing away, and uh, no offense to my former FUV colleagues, but I, I would hear hear the, how the games were called, and I'd say, I don't know what they're talking about. So that was kind of the first bug that got in my head. Uh, and then uh, Dennis Elsis, who is Monday through Fridays now on, on FuV, lived uh, two doors away from me in Jackson Heights, Queens, and we became friends. And uh, took he took me into WNEW FM at one point, and I got to uh, tour the uh, the studios. So that then that was kind of when the bug hit. I had taken some time off from Fordham, and when I went back, I said, "This is what I want to do." So I walked into FuV and I said, I'd like to join up. They said, what do you want to do? I said, I'll stuff envelopes. I don't care. I think that was a Friday. So, they told me to come back on a Monday. They had an afternoon show, um, which was a three-hour classical music show, but they did news inserts and features, et cetera, though I was supposed to help out. Well, I showed up, three people at called in sick and they handed me uh, some information about, it was coming up on tax time, the IRS. And they said, write a, write a feature and you're on at 3.05. So my first day I was on the air and I pulled it off and then we just you know, ran with it. So that's how it started.
1: So you walk into WFUV and at three o'clock you're on. What was that experience like? Just sort of being thrown immediately into the fire. You're,
0: it's go time. Well, uh, you know, the, the, the girl who was producing the show said, have you ever done that? I said, no, never done this before. So she kind of rolled her eyes and said, go ahead. So uh, back then in ancient times to do a phoner, it pushed to talk phones so that and the people were showing me how when you, when you asked the a question, then you let go of the push, uh, the lever so that you wouldn't be breathing while the person on the other end of the phone was talking. Okay. So you mute yourself. Fine. All right. Got that. All right. Now I have this sound. What do I do with it? All right. So I have to take it from reel to reel and put it on carts. I don't, you guys, I don't even know if you guys know what carts were, but they'll put them on carts. Okay, so that's how you edit it down and write a script. All right, I, I was fairly decent at, at writing. So, okay, got that. Walked in, sat down, uh, queued, did it, walked out. And the girl was standing outside the studio and I walked out and I said, okay, here it comes. And she says, you lied to me. I said, I lied to you? Told me you never did this before. And I said, I didn't. She goes, you're lying. <laughs> she said, that was really good. And I said, well, you know, I'm Irish. So the speaking part of it really didn't uh, create a big issue for me and being a little animated, maybe, et cetera, et cetera. So that was, uh, the short answer Nick was, I really wasn't that nervous, a little apprehensive, little but not like shaking. Uh, and once I got rolling, I said, okay, I can, I can do this. I just, I had to ask, I said, okay, so how do I know when are you going to play the card? And the guy says, just give me one of these. I said, okay, I said, so give me one of those and play the card. I learned about out cues, in cues and out cues and all of this stuff on the fly. So, and that's how it started.
2: When you get out in the professional world at RKO Radio, you mentioned your time at Fordham, how you were kind of thrust into the fire. How much did that experience kind of shape you and put you in a position to succeed once you were out in the professional world?
0: My first professional job, even though it wasn't really a commercial job, was Sports Phone in New York. And Mike Walzewski, who was uh, at WFUV, younger than I was, but had, had been a couple of years behind me in high school. And Mike was King Wally on Sports Phone. And for people who are listening to this, they don't know who Mike Walzewski is. Mike Walzewski is now the voice of Madison Square Garden. He's the public address announcer for the Knicks and the, and the major college basketball games. So, uh, there was an opening or oh, there was going to be an opening and that opening was going to be created because Howie Rose was leaving sports phone to go to WHN, then 10, 1050 WHN be the morning sports guy. So I said to Mike, I said, uh, you know, could I maybe apply for and Sure. So he arranged uh, an interview and I went down and uh, I didn't get Howie's, I got like Howie's position, but I wasn't prime time. I was uh, doing overnights, they'd started some other ancillary phone programs. Uh, so that was my first job. I did that for about four years. Uh, and I went to spring training in 1979, and it's the Mets site then in St. Petersburg. I met Charlie Steiner, who was then on 99X. He was the uh, sidekick to uh, the late Jay Thomas. And so Charlie and I struck up a, a you know, friendship. We'd see each other around games. And then about two years later, Charlie, uh, RKO Radio Networks had started up. Charlie was the sports uh, director and on-air, main on-air talent. He was looking for a producer. That's how I got that job. And uh, so, from, you know, just reporting at sports phone and having to be quick and and concise. So, that that was a a, a great training ground for me. Uh, The other people I worked with there at the time, Gary Cohen, Al Troutwig, uh, Matt Lachlan, um, Johnny Brial, who's now the, the lead track and en- uh, track announcer for New York Racing Association, uh, and, and, and Mike Walzewski. So, there were a lot of us who, who worked there, who, who went on to mm-hmm. bigger things and especially uh, Gary and, and Al and Matt uh, in, in terms of, of their, their profile. Uh, so, then from RKO learned a lot under Charlie and Charlie, one of the first hires he did was John Madden. So now John Madden comes in and uh, when John was in New York, he'd be up and we'd be, you know, uh, he did a five day a week commentary. So he'd come in to record a couple and, you know, we'd talk a lot and whatever. And I mentioned to John one day, uh, this was after we'd, uh, we were roommates at the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. So, I can imagine, you know, hanging out with John for about three weeks, uh, you know, both before, during, and after events. And I mentioned that I had never really done any television and I was somewhat interested. So, he sets me up with an interview with CBS Sports and I get a gig as a researcher on Sundays on the NFL Today, which was then Brent Musburger. Uh, And I did the first year and then the guy who was what they call the chief score He was the guy that did the uh, index cards and made sure that all the information that Brent got, you know, was was accurate. That guy was leaving. They asked me if I thought I could do the job. I said, yeah, sure I can. So I became the chief scorer for a couple of years and that was my entree with Brent. And then fast forward 1991, I start at ESPN radio and a few years later we get play by play and Charlie Steiner's my Sunday night baseball guy and Brett Musburger is doing the uh, NBA on ESPN radio. And, and I'm, you know, the, the roles have flipped. So uh, again, it, it was progressive. Uh, every step along the way, I learned something. And again, I was fortunate enough to be around really great, great people. Some some of the, the, the top flight people uh, in the industry. Uh, so not, not only just the Ins and outs and broadcasting, but uh, career stuff and you know life stuff as well.
1: So I, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I don't know that I can get uh, I can let you get away with not talking about a weekend with John Madden and your interactions with Brent Musburger. You, you mentioned that it sort of really helped you and, and helped you shape your career going forward. What were some of those things that really were helpful to you? Learning from some of the best people in the industry
0: early on in your career. Well, John, for instance, and, I'll, and I've never forgotten this. Just one time was like, you know, so, you know, Johnny, what do you want to do? What do you mean, John? What do you want to do? I mean, and, and you know, uh, what do you think you're really good at? You know, and you maybe should focus on that. And I had never f- drilled down and focused in on that. So that got me to thinking. Okay, was I you know, really obsessed with being on air? Should I really, you know, pursue this whole hog or, um, you know, I, I like the, the production side. When we did the Olympics, I wrote um, features uh, that John voiced and, and I also wrote his commentaries during the Olympics. But I mean, we would sit down and discuss, John, what do you want to say? And that, that, the only reason that I wrote them, because John always wrote them out longhand uh, otherwise, was just because of time crunch. So, John, what do you want to say? Okay, fine. And then I try and put that into a two minute thing. I try and write it like I thought John would say it, Mad knees. How's that? And we'd record it. So, so that whole thing about focusing in on what do I really want to do, you know, at, at that point. Uh, and with Brent, uh, the, the whole, both from being um, on the set at the NFL today and watching how he worked in terms of, storylines and impact of situations, and how they not only impact or germane to that particular game, but impacted uh, other scenarios or other situations around the league. So, learned not to be, have like blinders on, but to see things bigger picture. Uh, And uh, Brent's, uh, how should I say this? Suspicions about say what we were being told or what we were seeing and what we thought might really be going on uh, in terms of uh, athletes' conditions or um, front office stuff or whatever. That uh, suspicion, um, curiosity was, uh, you know, something that stuck with me too, Th- stuck with me too. Um, and he may have been the most prepared. I never worked with Costas in a studio, but I've worked with, with Brent and when I got to ESPN radio, uh, Mike Tirico, who was just starting out, and Mike Tirico, uh, even in a, in a radio setting, we did a two-hour show on Sunday mornings, and first, right out of the bat, the first 15 minutes, and I told him this, I said, I said, boy, I said, you got a lot of Musburger in you. Because not only could he do the on air, but everything behind and was prepared and saw how, you know, things related to uh, other stuff that was going on. and. Uh, and, and would help him uh, format, if he was doing an interview, uh, his questions. And that's why I, I th- always have thought that Mike is um, really good uh, in, in an interview setting. You mentioned the relationships that you were able to forge over time. What
2: aspect sticks out the most to you in, in terms of what you cherish the most once you were done with your time leading the charge at ESPN Radio?
0: What we created, uh, uh, now, now when i started out we were just talk shows and we were just uh, saturday sundays we did uh seven hours uh saturday and sunday evenings, 6p to 1a eastern we had a two hour sh- uh, show on sunday morning seven to nine uh, that was we started january 1992 1994 was when they started to expand and, you know, and, and ultimately either, I forget if it was that year or maybe a year later, with are 24-7. And uh, our first play-by-play rights were NBA 1995-96 season. And that coincided with the second Jordan 3P. And, and my whole focus, uh, when I was, you know, given that, delete. Um, lead, and, and again, it was just the NBA to start. 1998, we'd get baseball. And then we got college football and then just, you know, snowballed. Uh, but my, my initial focus was to make sure that we were every bit as good as ESPN television, that our, that our productions and our values were every bit as good as television. And uh, I was fortunate that I had a huge talent pool to, to choose from, plus, you know, people who were on the outside at this point but wanted to become part of what we were doing and had great um, young people inside who were uh, really eager to learn uh, and good people. And one of the the best compliments I got over those 26 years, Emmanuel was from outside, some people, some people inside the company, but from people outside, from NBA people or baseball people said, you have great people, you have great people. And I used to say, well, I have an aversion to jerks. Uh, but, but, but it was a big thing with me because, um, I mean, you, you guys are, you know, starting out, but I'm sure that you've seen it. Uh, you know, th- th- there's so much ego uh, in, in this business uh, and, and people that, and, and great, ambition is great, you know, trying to get ahead. Some people are really good at it. They don't wear it on their sleeves. Uh, other people, they have it front and center and they'll put it right in your face. And they'll do almost anything to make sure that, you know, they reach their goal, and even if it's at the expense of yours. Uh, and even if it's not on, on, in the best of uh, circumstances, okay? So, uh, you know, ultimately, by the time I, I left, um, there was, uh, you know, they had a, a retirement thing, and of course, they had people, you know, with, you know, saying nice, nice things about me. Uh, <laughs> But they were all, I mean, I knew they were sincere because there was no upside to telling me how great I was now because I couldn't help them anymore. Uh, but, uh, so, so that's, that's the thing that, that I take away. And uh, I think you hear that with a lot of people who walk away from, from any job. It's the, the relationships and the people you worked with and, and a certain sense of pride too in, in seeing some people that, um you know you you helped mold and shape and they've gone on and and uh, you know they're doing some great things in, in their own right so that's it for me
1: <laughs> if my understanding is correct you oversaw i think it's close to 4200 event oh, the production of 4200 events is the at espn radio is there any chance that you have a favorite
0: or most memorable one throughout your time have a lot of memorable ones. Uh, and, um, you know, the, if you watch The Last Dance, um, was that back in March, I think ESPN aired that. Uh, and uh, if you look quick in the, in the background of, uh, of a lot of the game action, you know, you can see my mug. Uh, and that, that whole three years of, of those, you know, the Jordan Bulls, that second three-peat, remarkable games. Remarkable games. Um, the game six ninety eight stands out. Uh, you know, Michael's last game as a bull and the game winning shot if, if right after the steal of Malone from the back uh, off Malone from the backside. The year before game five, the flu game. Uh, Quinn Buckner, who was on my sideline, one of my sideline reporters, had come to, out to me um, about an hour or so before tip off and pulled me aside, and and he said. He said, Michael may not play. And I said, he died? I said, because if he's not playing, then he passed away. There's no way Michael Jordan is not playing. And he explained to me that food poisoning or whatever, they weren't sure, but he was lying inside in in, 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 a trainer room, lights out, may not play. And when he finally came out to warm up, when you looked at him, it was clear, okay, that he is definitely not himself. And he still scored 38 points. (laughs) <laughs> and, they, and, and they won the game and they went back to Chicago and games and wrapped that, you know, that one up in, in game six. But, so there are a number of, of Bulls games. Uh, the uh, Vince Young National Championship, Texas over USC was a phenomenal game. The um, 2001 World Series for everything that it was on the heels of, of 9-11, you know, here in New York. Uh, And those seven games and especially uh, games four and five at at the stadium when, when, you know, the Yankees look like, okay, they're done and, you know, rabbits, rabbits just keep coming out of the hat and, you know, Jeter gets the, the the tag Mr. November um, off that series. Um, We we did, you know, Kentucky Derbies, um, you know, some, some great stuff there. you know, and we more recently we started to do uh, NFL, and you know there are you know Sunday some great some great games there too. So there's a whole array, uh, and and I don't know that I can ever pick out one as the one, but there were a lot of uh, all one A B C D E F G whatever on and on.
2: John, you came to be known as Chief throughout your career. How did that originate?
0: Uh, There was a fellow FUVer who used to go around and call everybody, hey, Chief, how you doing, Chief? What's going on, Chief? And when I was at Sports Phone, I started to pick up on that a little bit. And uh, the guy at Sports Phone, Mike Farrell, one day just said, okay, we got – Wally's doing this uh, and Chief, you're going to do this. And I said, huh? Chief. Okay. And it just uh, it really started then at Sports Phone, and then just started to stick. And I, I knew uh, that it, it, you know, years later, <laughs> I kind of arrived at ESPN when George Bodenheimer, who was the CEO, uh, came up to me at an event once and said, Chief, how are we doing today? <laughs> I said, good, George, how are you? And so, so it, it started. It, it wasn't, I, I think over the years, people thought that, well, he's the chief, he's the guy. Didn't really, it didn't start out that way. It might've evolved into that, but it didn't start out that way. And uh, I, I mean, I have to be honest, at times I, I was a little embarrassed by it because I said, that's the chief. And said, yeah, I'm just another one of the guys. So, you know, I make a decision here and there, so. That's how it started.
1: John, many of the people that we've had on this podcast so far are sort of on their way to a bigger career as they start off in the industry. You are more of a veteran, and I was curious to That's get... a good way to put
0: it. Yeah, I like
2: that.
1: <laughs> You're done. I was, I was <laughs> curious to get your advice as someone who's kind of been through it all uh, for anyone who wants to enter
0: the broadcasting field. Uh... uh Look, I I think any field that you're going into is, um, you know, presents obstacles, tough to break into. I think this field probably more than, than any other. Although with how things have expanded over the years with, with, I mean, what we're doing now, podcasts, uh, there, there are a a, a greater number of uh, positions and, and I think career choices choose from within within the industry. But uh I think you uh you know going back to what Madden had said to me, like what do you want to do? You have to have a pretty good idea of what you want to do and then you have to be committed to it. You you can't wait around for somebody to come to you and hand you something. Uh you have to be proactive. Uh you to me you can't be, well, you know, I I need a weekend off or I, I, I don't want to no you have to go in, you know, full bore. Uh, I, I was very fortunate that that you know my wife, Marianne, was also a WFUV alum. Uh, early on, when I was maybe doing three different things uh, at, at the same time, and uh, she never complained or said, "No, you have to make time for right. me." I mean, you know, we did. Also helped that I mean, she she ended up in uh, the broadcast uh, business too. Um, like marketing and, and, and sales and stuff, but she understood that. And I've seen so many people in, in my industry who have uh, lost out on relationships and gone through divorces and stuff because uh, their partner, And I'm not I'm, I'm casting aspersions on it, but just wouldn't, wouldn't deal with it. Said, I'm, I'm not going to deal with this and, and walk away. So you have to be commitment committed. You have to be willing to take risks. Um, I had some opportunities early on, um, and I didn't think I was ready for them and I turned them down. And as I look back, I, I should have at least given it a go. Um, I mean, I, I really did. I had this thing about, I didn't want to embarrass myself. Uh, and you know, that, that was a mistake. I think things turned out great for me. Don't get me wrong. But I think if somebody presents an opportunity, grab it, go for it, uh, prepare for it that's the other thing too be be prepared anytime you're you're moving into a new situation or uh, uh, you know again somebody offers you that opportunity will then say yes and then take a step back and find people who have done that and get as much background as you can i think these days that's a lot easier if somebody offered you a play by play gig what what i was offered was to call an nhl game on the old USA Network. And I was, I hadn't called, I hadn't done any TV period. And I thought about it and the person who offered the producer said, I think you'd be good at it. And I thought about it and I said, wow, well, I just don't wanna go and you know fall flat on my face. Well, there were people I could have reached out to, but nowadays it'd be a lot easier for me to go and, and look at video, just firing up my computer and look at video and study people who call games and, and, and how they do it and camera shots and et cetera, et cetera. That there's so much more information out there and, uh, you know, avenues for people to uh, learn and pick up and, and I think then and execute from that.
2: As someone who's seen the growth of radio play-by-play over time, now you're seeing teams take a different approach, whether it's scaling back a little bit on the radio or going digital and going off terrestrial. Where do you see the future of radio five, ten years from now? You
0: know, I, I was asked that same question five or ten years ago, Emmanuel. And uh, back then, HD radio had been, um, you know, starting to uh, make some noise. And, and I thought, okay, this is probably the, the future of it. Uh, and I was wrong. So, uh, I don't, I mean, the, the, the answer is, I don't know. I really, I really don't know. I mean, I, I still think, uh, you know, radio play by play is viable. Uh, you know, now, how it's going to unfold down the road I really don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm being totally honest. I, I, I don't have a crystal ball about that. I, I hope it still exists because I think it's a it's a great training ground. I mean, it, to me, if, if you're good doing play by play, or if you're just good on the radio, if you're hosting a talk show, if you're doing a newscast, then, you know, to move to the, the television side it, is a bunt. It, it's easy because radio, you have to ad lib and you have to react. You, you, you know, you don't rely on a teleprompter. I would get some guys at, at ESPN at times with, I want to do a radio game or I, I want to work this. And they'd come over and as good as they were on TV, I would find out that, oh my God, without a teleprompter, you're lost. You're, you have trouble like stitching together three or four words in, in a coherent sentence. It was remarkable to me. Uh, a great learning point too for me. So, uh, I mean, I still think there's great value in this, um, but again, like your generation and you know, you're a younger than you, this isn't how you've come up. Uh, so uh, I hope it continues to, to exist the, the way it is. Um, I think it's gonna change. So that's the best I can do for you.
2: You've stayed very involved with the program since you were at the station itself. What are some of those pillars that you think always will exist at FUV and always need to exist to remain the the, the powerhouse that it that it has been and, and tries to continue to be?
0: Well, I, I think didn't happen so much back when, when I was there, which was uh, mid-late 70s on. But since then, uh, when you get uh, Mike Brains to, to come up uh, and um, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head, a- Alice Gaynor, and, and, and the number of alums who are out in the business now who come back and either they they have the time to do workshops or just to sit down and, and address and answer questions and talk about, uh, you know, their career path, how they did it, what's going on now. Uh, I think that's a tremendous resource and, and a pillar Uh, as as you say, for the station to, to keep on, on growing and, uh, you know, turning out uh, great uh, talent to work in, in this business. And uh, we didn't have it so much then just because it just wasn't, um, I guess there was nobody on the inside, like uh, I'm thinking about George and, and Bob Ahrens that really nurtured that and you know, really, you know, brought people like myself back in. Say, hey, can you help out? Can you listen? Can you critique? Uh, you know, can you can you give the kids some opinions? Uh, and and to be you know, f- frank about it too, not to sugarcoat things. Uh, so I think that's the the biggest thing. Uh, Fordham certainly, um, and the strength of that station, uh, the strength of that signal, um, because. You know, as I've often said, you never know who's listening and, and who's out there and, and hears somebody and said, wow, maybe that person isn't ready right now, but you hear something said, boy, down the road with some work. Uh, and, you know, they might reach out personally or reach out to somebody in the station or, you know, your resume finally crosses a desk and say, oh, that's how you used to listen to that. But yeah. Come on in. Let's talk.
2: Nick, in talking to John, it's really interesting to hear his take on the future of the radio industry as a whole. There's been so much speculation for decades now, and he's been a part of a lot of that discussion. And still, for someone like John Martin, it's hard to pinpoint.
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to pinpoint for pretty much everybody. But if there's somebody who is qualified to do it, it's certainly John. He's been through it throughout his entire career. I don't want to call him the. Dr. Fauci of radio, but he really (laughs) was an integral part of, of building up ESPN radio. So it is really difficult. And, you know, things are moving away. We talked about it on the podcast with the Orlando magic going towards a digital stream and how that might look for the future of radio. I thought that what John said was really informative. And I think it holds to be true that there really is a place for radio in sports broadcasting, and it really helps develop some of the younger talent to see what they can do because as he said you can fake it a little bit on tv radio is really where it happens and that's much more difficult to ad lib and try and react to certain things so i think there's certainly a place for it it's a great training ground and hopefully we see it uh, continue in a
2: positive trajectory i think that's a really important point there's always a place for radio it's just a matter of what platform and speaking of platforms. You have a place like WFUV that looks to churn out the next generation of sportscasters. John emphasized that the workshop guests, the engagement with alumni is something he's always taken pride in and FUV should always take pride in if it wants to be strong into the future.
1: And to me, it's so crucial because you learn so much from so many of our alumni and all the experiences that they have had. And when you talk about our business, it's it's about the experience. How many times have you heard, well, just get reps, do this over and over and over again, and you'll get a better understanding of how to do it. And I think that you get a sort of experience by talking to the people that have gone through it. And that's something that's unique to Fordham unique to WFUV and is not certainly something that you're getting everywhere. And you can almost feel like you've called some of the games, even though you didn't, you get an understanding of how the thing works. And I think that that sets you on a path to be successful. How many alumni have we had on this podcast saying, well,
2: the guys that went
1: before me were really helpful in getting to me where I wanted to go happy you could
2: join us on our 14th episode of off the air with John Martin. You can catch every episode on WFUV or wherever you get your podcast for Nick DeLuca, Emmanuel Barbari. We'll catch you next week.